Today's episode of Cinema Gush is brought to you by The Crowd Song Trope. There comes a moment in every person's life where whatever they're trying to hold back can't be contained any longer. Their emotions have built to a breaking point and the volcano in the vocal cords is gonna erupt. That might be a solo song, but we're talking crowds. What is becoming more and more common these days as the solo variant spreads is for a crowd to feel the similar emotions of the protagonist and develop a sudden urge to sing. This could be an all-out dance number, but we find that spontaneous free-flying fun tends to work best. So stop holding back. Say how you really feel and say it. In a song. Uh, the crowd song. Sing, shout, let it all out. This is the trope you can't do without. Okay, guys. Hi. So, here we are. Season, finale of season two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are uh, we're still here. And I still have a great time. Yes, um, we are. This is a movie that I'm excited about. I, uh, I was... We had talked about this movie on the podcast on multiple occasions. Yes. And in that entire time, I have never watched the trailer. I have <laughs> never read a synopsis. I knew nothing about it. All I knew when I rented it on Amazon was that it was three hours and eight minutes, and I thought, oh my, I'm in for an evening. <laughs> yes. I pressed play and enjoyed the ever-living heck out of it. So tonight we are talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's 1999 movie... Magnolia. Magnolia. The yes. person gushing, the one, the only, Nick Lishko, <laughs> please tell me about this movie. Tell, tell me what you think about it. Where did you see it? What are your thoughts? Gush. Gush. Sure. Gush. Gush. Uh, yeah, I'm trying. Uh, yeah, no, my goodness. Uh, I, I think it was Kevin Cam at Franciscan that recommended this movie to me. Um, and all I was told was that it was a love letter to the San Fernando Valley, kind of like a love letter to LA deal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then it was the warning of, oh, by the way, it's over three hours, and I was just like, I'm in college. I've got nothing but free time. I chose, I chose communications as my major. This is perfect for me. Um, and so I borrowed the DVD from him, and I watched the whole thing in one sitting, and I was utterly, utterly blown the hell away. Um, so there's something I want to say before we get too into the movie, and that's uh, it, it kind of, there was a moment about halfway through where a word came to me for all, for all of you, you know, biblical church folks, like a word, a word came to my soul and my spirit. Uh, and that word is attention. This movie mm. requires your attention. There are moments in this film that are very, very difficult. And I mean, I don't like awkward. Awkward for me is a hard feeling to deal with, mostly because of the discomfort that I feel inside of me. And it makes me kind of want to flee the room. And that's one reason I still haven't really given the office a fair shot because I've seen enough clips that people find utterly hilarious that I'm just like, no, this, this makes me want to not watch your show that you love even more. Um, it is often uncomfortable. And the other thing is, again, just over three hours, that's a lot of time and attention, but it does require attention. And that's kind of the thing I want to just start right off the bat is that if you are going to watch this movie, find a block where the kids are asleep um, and they won't come downstairs, mostly because this movie has, uh, this movie is ranked number, what is the number here? Sorry. The movie is ranked 76th for most F-bombs in a movie of all time. There's 188 of them, and that's about and it's about 1.03 f bombs a minute, um, which I will put Look, a link. In, yeah, go ahead. The f bombs aren't nearly as bad as pretty much everything that comes out of Tom Cruise's mouth. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, uh, for those who don't know what the C bomb is, I'm certainly not going to give it away, but it's said many times in this movie. So uh, if we have any British listeners, be ready to put uh, two pounds in the swear jar because this was really something else. Especially it, it goes for it. 
Yeah, what Frank T.J. Mackey uh, talks about. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so that's I wanted to just kind of start with that. Like, this is not a cell phone in the lap movie. This, unless you're shazamming the music, which I couldn't blame you. It's Amy Mann. It's really wonderful. Um, the script was pretty much written after Paul was listening to, I think it was her latest record at the time in the late 90s. And one of the songs even inspired a musical sequence in the movie, which we'll talk about later, that is so different from anything else just I had that I had seen before. And if it exists in a movie before, fantastic. I don't know what that movie is. But this was the first time that you had a song that meant so much that the characters essentially stop what they're doing to live in the moment to sing a lyric of the song. And it was uh, amazing. And it just it kind of takes my breath away every time that sequence happens. So uh, Magnolia. Paul Thomas Anderson has just come off of doing Boogie Nights, a movie I still have not seen, but I have been told by everybody else who loves this movie as much as I do that Boogie Nights is slightly better. Um, I'm not a big fan of the subject matter of Boogie Nights, but I hear that's yeah. kind of the... But here's the thing. I hear but that's the point. But I'm still tempted because, yeah. Right. And so it's, it's currently free right now. Um, I have the next two days off, I believe. So if I can squeeze in some private time, I will definitely give it a watch. Um, because mm, it has me all sorts of curious. That movie launched this man's career. I know he did one called Hard Eight earlier. Uh, and he had written some things that did okay. And he was a production assistant on a game show, which actually helped inspire the whole game show sequences in this movie. But it's an interesting case study on watching an art tour come into his own voice and style. Um, I was reading a couple of schnobs talking about PTA, which is Paul Thomas Anderson. That's going to be the abbreviation moving forward. Not to be confused with the other uh, Paul Thomas, who does all the Castlevania, uh, not Castlevania, uh, sorry, Resident Evil movies, and is married mm-hmm. to Mila, what's her bucket? Jovich. Mia, not going not gonna to act much more. Um, so, well, actually, there's a new one coming well, she's out. She's going to keep acting in his movies when he adapts video games. <laughs> It's true. America's Uwe Boll. Look, I'm 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 in I am genuinely interested in Monster Hunter, and we are going to watch that next season together and see what we think because that is a game that I've been wanting to play so very badly and may be available on the PS4, which so by the way, folks, it I is, don't it is. I don't yeah, I don't have anything past PlayStation 3, but I just won a Goodwill auction for an uncharted version of PS4, so we will sync up about that uncharted 4 thing we talked about last week. Yeah, and I'm thrilled to do that. Here's the only problem. You sure. have to remember Halo comes out in a week and a half, so mm. well, that's either before <laughs> or after. It will be after cuz my package has arrived for a week and a half. Well, then, I don't want to keep you from playing your fun games. We'll talk well, here's the thing. off scene it, and talk about games. Yeah, well, just to close that thought, it did come with The Last of Us, which I haven't played yet, so I'm going to play that then. It's good. It's good. Yeah, so I'm super stoked for that. Um, but getting back to Magnolia, this is, uh, again, you're watching an R tour kind of come to be, and I was really struggling to find movies that are like this. Now, what do I mean by movies that are like this? This is peak 90s uh broad it's melodrama this is yeah, 90s melodrama melodrama which... multiple character perspectives that are all connected yep. uh you know a movie like this kind of probably was an inspiration for something like lost and heroes where people are all tied to one mm-hmm. big web which is like my favorite style of writing and i kind of um as i was watching this i was reminded of a lot of the stuff i was going for and doing long walks on the beach uh, which you can still find on Vimeo.com slash Long Walks on the Beach. Uh, a lot of the things I was going for for that, like all the characters were tied together, and I think I got that from this flick. So this flick goes deep for me. Um, but So movies like this, what I mean by 90s power, um, 
art house. I mean, things like Grand Canyon, Shorts Cuts. Um, I think some Wes Anderson films could probably fall into this. Maybe Royal Tenenbaums, maybe. Uh, possibly The French Dispatch, because the nearest movie theater that has that for me is like an hour and a half away. Um, but I think Crash was probably the last one uh, of Crash. these multiple character, melodramatic, web long movies which by the way i do like crash and i know people really really hate it because of the oscars and it the fact that it won best picture that year over another thing but i don't want to talk about that i just want to say like that style of movies yeah go ahead go ahead no i I guess so here's the thing at the time i did like crash uh add 15 years and i find it almost unwatchably annoying wow okay so I was worried going into this movie that I was going to have another crash. <laughs> so, and, and now me being annoyed is not me being influenced by the great hatred that it gets online. It just it doesn't work for me as an adult the way it did when I was an adolescent. But this movie, I, I guess what I'm saying is this is peak 90s melodrama and yeah. it is really easy to do that poorly. Yes, it is. It's Absolutely. really hard to do this right, and I was impressed from beginning to end that he managed to thread that needle. Yeah, and this was something that he had spent eight months working on in a little cabin in Vermont. He talks about this, so I'm holding up a copy of the Magnolia Shooting Script. This is one of the few hardcovers that, oh, nice. uh, that I definitely do not want to part with. It has all of these amazing behind-the-scene pictures. Uh, it's, it's unlike any other script I would say that I have because he he kind of goes with format, but it's definitely more through a director's uh, writing style, which they really tell you to try your best not to do when you're submitting spec scripts. But um, I, not I, to do what to write this style of um, so when you're writing a, a script, you're not writing in, you're not writing cut to, you're not writing camera, oh, right, right, you're right, not right, doing right, things right. like that. You're not but directing because, the movie in the script. Correct, but he definitely does that, obviously, because he knew he was going to direct it, but there's all these really beautiful panoramic pictures in the back. I don't know if this is going to even show up on camera. I'll see if I can find a way to get this oh, into the show that's notes. pretty. But, like, yeah, it. this movie, once again, brought up uh, just how genuinely sad I was when Philip Seymour Hoffman passed away. Um, I know. Because he, he just... He was... It made me sad watching this, realizing that we are going to miss out on 30, 40 years of his career. Yeah, and he specifically wanted a quiet, good character. Like, that was kind of his request. Um, I heard about this in, what was this? I think it was something I was watching on YouTube. And and I'll get to that, actually, that I wanted to bring up. So if, if you do watch this movie, and you can give yourself over to this thing, your attention, for three hours and eight minutes, I believe is the running time, there's also a documentary on YouTube that I'm going to link in the description uh, for this episode. My wife just served me tamales. I am so freaking happy. Thank you, honey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is also a YouTube documentary called That Moment. Now, that moment was kind of what he used as a slug. Instead of saying cut to or match cut or fade out, he would use that moment in the script. And so this documentary is called That Moment. It's the making of Magnolia. Uh, it's on disc two of the bonus, uh, the master collected DVD that I have, um, but it is free on YouTube and you can totally watch it. And again, this is a guy who is, uh, 37 at the time, like just blossomed into his career, just kind of a film nerd. You know, I think one of his favorite movies of all time is network. And he has like, I think he has most of the people watch it before they even start talking about how they're going to do the movie, um, just for inspiration. 
And there are so many great things in that documentary, mostly because I, I think you and I both thrive on these behind the scene things. That's why we're always going to go for physical yeah, editions. And mm-hmm. this is, this is a paradise for, um, just how it was made and a little behind the scenes stuff and fun stuff with the actors and actresses and the way that he as a director rehearses. And so I loved all of that stuff cause I'm into that kind of stuff. But yeah. there's one thing that I specifically noted uh, that I try to use when I film things. So there's a moment about 11 minutes in. I actually, if you click on the link, you'll see that Lishko Burger 12, who is me on YouTube, goes 11 moments, love 11 minutes, love this. <laughs> it's because I rewatched it 25 times this morning and slowed it down to write down what he said. So on the first day of the movie, right when they have quiet on the set, he goes, "This is the first shot of the movie that I think we should all unashamedly try and make a great movie and don't apologize. Let's just try and make a really, really, really fantastic movie because there's no shame in that, okay? And then everybody claps. And I'm like, yes, dude. Yeah. Like how many That's other so cool. how, yeah, how many other directors give a speech the second before you start rolling for your first take to just just remind everybody, hey, like, we're trying to do something good here. Like, we're trying to put a good thing into the world that's fantastic and that you don't have to apologize for. And the thing is, too, this also hits me in a different way because I know I know a couple of writers who I envy because they're working screenwriters. So that is literally their job in Hollywood. But they hate everything they've ever worked on. And they know that they've worked on direct-to-DVD crap and they've sold spec scripts for lots of money that will never hit the screen. And they, they hate their careers. Mm-hmm. And so what Paul is saying when he says this is like, you're not going to have shame when this film is over with. There's no shame in trying to make a fantastic movie that we're all going to work really super hard on. And so I, I love that. I had to write it down and I just, yeah. I don't know what the next thing is that I'm going to film someday. Although I, now I'm really inspired to do the Magnolia thing, but I want to say that before things get started. It's like, there's no shame. We're going to try to make something amazing. So that's great. That's cool. And there's, there's an element, too, that you never know how things are going to turn out, but you know the best way to make them turn out great is if you love what you're doing and you give it your all. Exactly, yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. Like I was saying before, there are lots of moments of discomfort in this movie. There are awkward moments. There are hard moments because characters are going through hard things. One of the big themes in this movie is the abuse that we give unto children. Not not necessarily mm, in a sure. sexual way. That's like one that's one character's line, but even just like Multiple anger ways, yeah. and... Um, mental stress yes yes all those things and so that's a super uncomfortable topic but if you've ever heard somebody say that you know movies don't have messages or i really didn't get the theme of the movie like this movie hits you with an amazing theme that when you walk away from you genuinely want to try to live a better life like uh i'm trying to think of a great way a good example to put this like sometimes some movies hit you over the head i've talked about fireproof in the past Mm -hmm. um with a theme or with like, well, you should do this thing now. But this movie comes from a somewhat non-judgmental performance. The camera just kind of goes in and out of sequences, watching things happen and moves right along. Um, PTA loves doing long takes. I think there's like four or five in this movie. One that's almost three minutes when they first enter into the game show studio and they're bouncing from all the screen, uh, all the different rooms. Um, Tom Cruise's takes were very, very long in this movie because a lot of it was improvised. Um, but he treats the camera as an observer, which is great. There's not a ton of, like, like Fincher, right? Fincher has a lot of style and a lot of edge to it. There's not a lot of that. It's almost like the camera is you, and you're just kind of here right. to observe this scene, and you're floating through as if you are the air, you know? And you're just kind of going through the, like, as the wind or, um, you know, and so there, the angles a, reflect There's that. a lack of pretension to it. It's, it's, Yeah. 
Well, and, and I'm glad that you said pretension specifically because this is a movie that is very easy to uh, be pretentious about. This was probably my first, like you probably haven't heard of it, film that I would tell other <laughs> people. So this is my hipster flick, um, which of course is no way to live. But if you're in your early 20s, it's fine. You're not 25 <laughs> yet. Your brain's still developing. It's all good. You're forgiven. But this was definitely that movie for me where I, I couldn't shut up about it or how good it was and what I learned from watching it. And uh, so, so that's the start. So this movie requires your attention, and if you have the time for the attention, you have time for the documentary that I'm also adding on to our show notes. So, <laughs> Yes, indeed. So Magnolia. Magnolia is essentially a story about one day of the lives of nine different main characters uh, in the San Fernando Valley in the middle of a rainstorm. That's pretty much what I would leave it at for a logline, although this day and age you probably have to have a lot more specific things to even get it read. Um, but the, one of the producers on this movie is Mike DeLuca, who's a really awesome, awesome, awesome producer who I'd love to work with someday. <laughs> and uh, he just says, like, he went over the moon. He flipped for this script. And this was a movie where they gave him Final Cut, and they gave him everything. Uh, and you'll see in the documentary, he still had to fight for stuff. The poster for this movie, PTA made himself. The trailer that you can see yeah, for I, this movie, he cut like, it himself. Like, a photo? Like, he did the collage and everything. That's so cool. Yeah, which he said he had to fight for because he said like the marketing team didn't know how to market it, which in defense of the marketing people, I wouldn't know how to market this except to say, oh, hey, it's Oscar bait season. This is one that's going to be nominated for awards. You want to talk about movies that are getting nominated for awards, don't you? Here's the movie to watch. Um, so I would start with that. It's like the nine main characters in the San Fernando Valley on a day where it's raining like crazy. Now you drift through their lives right off the bat. And you get a sense of what everybody's kind of going through. You have everybody in this movie from John C. Riley to Tom Cruise to um, I'm going to blank on a lot of names right now, but uh, just a it's lot. It's everybody. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, even the even even the janitor from Scrubs found his way into this movie. Did you know that? No, where was he? He was one of the three guys in the beginning that robs the pharmacist that gets hung. I did not notice that. <laughs> Which, by the way, there's, so the opening sequence of this movie is, is uh, a, a montage of coincidences, as it were. And one of them was uh, Greenberry Hill, where this pharmacist is leaving his building, and he's assaulted and killed by three men, one named Green, one named Barry, and one named Hill. And one of those men is the janitor from Scrubs. And so Ricky Jay, who was an insanely amazing magician who passed away a couple of years ago. He's the narrator of this movie. He's also kind of like the onset director. I was wondering who that was. Yeah, for the the game show, he's the one behind the camera that also sure, works sure. with Jimmy Gator. And he starts by narrating that story. Then he tells a story that where Patton Oswalt is like a blackjack dealer. And this guy who like attacks him at a casino um, is a firefighter who, upon trying to get water in his bucket uh, from an airplane, sucks up. Um, Patton Oswalt's character who's scuba diving and dumps him in a tree and kills him. And so he kills himself because of that coincidence. And then the third sequence, which I believe is actually based on a real case, is where um, a boy is trying to commit suicide and his parents are fighting and the mom always waves a gun at the dad. And as the boy jumps off the building to kill himself, the mom fires this shotgun, which kills the boy out the window and the mom becomes an um, asset to murder, I think is what it is. But she gets accused. Yeah. Yeah, accessory. That's what I think it is. So... Uh, it's all the movies. So the movie is, is hitting you with this idea of like coincidences exist. And sometimes things are so strange. You can't believe that they're real, but we often like to say fiction is stranger than reality. And that's an interesting thought to think about for just a second, because there are a lot of movies that get adapted from things that happen in real life, but don't find an audience mostly because people don't believe that it happened. 
And so there's a big thing that happens in this movie. It's the biggest set piece. It's the strangest aspect of this whole movie towards the very end that you don't quite understand the first time you see it. <laughs> but it but it has happened before. Like, to that degree? Uh, I don't know if it's... So here's the thing. So here... I mean, this is definitely going to be a spoiler-rich uh, well, episode. Y- yeah, go on. Before you get into that... Well, yeah. okay, we'll come back. You just... You mentioned the word happened, and I want to talk about that for a second, because that was the biggest laugh of the evening. And we, I, okay, so did you... Would you? Sorry, did you watch this by yourself or with Lauren, or...? I watched it with Lauren. Lauren was going, because I told her it's three hours. She's like, I'll sit with you. I'm probably going to do something else. She got brought her crossword down, and then promptly did not do anything else. Like you said, <laughs> it takes your attention, and she gave it her attention, but she was not planning on it. It, it stole <laughs> it from her. Awesome. Um... Okay. Well, if you, okay. Yeah, so, so yeah, towards the end of the movie there's this thing that happens where if unless you super know your scriptures, you're not going to know that this thing is going to happen. Now, um, yeah. I want us to interrupt you because Lauren did force me to pause it so that she could look up Exodus what 8. 82 and 82 and go, "Why are they referencing frogs?" <laughs> And you see the A2 all over the movie. Right when uh, Stanley, not Stanley, um, the kid is jumping off the building, you see an 8, semicolon 2, in the wires on the building. Hmm. So it hints at it there. And then when you have the, the What Do Kids Know TV show start, there's a kid, there's a guy in the audience waving an Exodus 8-2 billboard. You noticed that one. I did not. And the security guard that pulls it away is actually Paul Thomas Anderson. That's his little cameo in the movie as he yanks away the board from the guy. Um and so you have this event towards the end of this we, movie where... We paused. I don't know. Have you ever noticed on the bus stop? Yes, I did. I did notice it That's this time. That's where yep. we had to pause and, and look it up. So, okay, go. Yeah, I so I hadn't noticed ahead. it before until that moment. But um, you have these characters going through their lives and crazy things happening. And, and somebody is... Uh, there's a character on the verge of dying. There's a character who is um, a caretaker to this person. And he finds out that that person has a son. You find out that that son is actually Frank T.J. Mackey, who is... Tom Cruise's character, and uh, you find out that all these characters are linked through a very unique and strange way. There's actually a character relationships map that I also post into the show notes where... Ooh, that sounds great. Yeah, where just about everything goes through the show. So this will give me a chance to also talk about the characters, and then we'll get to what that moment was. But So you have mm. this show, What Do Kids Know? And it's kind of a... Uh, it's kind of like a Are You, are you Smarter Than a Fifth Grader show, where you have three That's kids and three adults... Yeah, going against each other, answering quiz questions. So you have this show. So let's start with that. The host of this show is Jimmy Gator. Jimmy has been doing this show for over 50 years. He's on his last legs. You find out that he has cancer. It's going to kill him in two months for sure. He has a daughter named Claudia. And Claudia is this girl who does cocaine. She makes very bad choices. Well, Claudia goes on a date towards the end of this movie with John C. Riley's character, Jim. Jim is a cop... He is uh, kind of a dumb guy, but... It's a John C. Riley character. Yeah, but he's very endearing because he he has such an adolescent view of love, despite the fact that he mentions later that he was divorced. Um, mm-hmm. But he's like a good Catholic man. He's got a crucifix on his wall. He says his prayers. He talks to God in the movie. He also pretends that he's on Cops because Cops was ginormous in the 90s. And one of the that's first... That's what he was doing. I didn't put that together. That's oh, amazing. No. <laughs> There's this right when you meet him in the beginning, he's talking in his car about life and, you know, trying to do a good deed. And it's shot very much like a cop's angle. And then you cut to the front of the car and there's nobody riding in there. But that's kind of what he does. So that makes him endearing. 
So he, throughout the movie, he ends up helping this guy named Donnie, who's William H. Macy. Donnie was a contestant on the show, What Do Kids Know? And he has the record. He made like $100,000. And But as an adult, like he kind of rode that child fame and just stinks as an adult. He's trying to get braces. That's his motivation. And you start to learn why. So, so Cop Jim helps Donnie, which links him back to the show. A part of the show is also Stanley. Stanley, who is the son of a guy who just, he wants to be an actor so badly. And his son is like crushing it on this game show. He's only two wins away from like the record. And, um, we'll talk about that relationship in just a minute. So Stanley and Donnie are from the show. Well, the big producer of the show, which you find out through watching when Claudia watches the credits at the end of the game show, it says Mm -hmm. a big Earl Partridge production. Earl Partridge is the old man who is dying at the beginning of this movie. His caretaker is Phil, who is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Wow, they didn't even change his name. Uh, and no, you yeah, find no. out, yeah, and you find, same with Luis Guzman. That's right, yeah. And you find out that Phil is uh, so Phil is the caretaker of Earl. Earl confesses to Phil that he has a son, a son named Jack. Jack is Frank T. J. Mackey, who is Tom Cruise's mm-hmm. character, mm-hmm. kind of one of those. There was this show on VH1 called The Mystery Method where this guy named Mystery is a pickup artist and he teaches guys how to be pickup artists and he wrote a book that I read uh, much to my uh, shame while standing in line on Black Friday at Fry's Electronics trying to buy a big television. Um, I read his book <laughs> and uh, so it's one of those pickup artist things like guys who just, they, they see women as objects. There is no respect there. Um, and so that's who Frank T.J. Mackey is and he is going to give this big conference presentation in, Cal- in Los Angeles today about... I don't want to say any of the words that he says, but it's just like you about know how to, he's so, about. something he's in conquer. Artist. Yeah, he's conquer. The worst kind of male. Right. So that's who Frank is, and that's how he's connected to Earl. Earl is married to this woman named Linda, who is Julianne Moore. Who, holy crap! How did you not win the best? Um, how did you not win an Oscar for best actress in this movie? Like oh, that, the range of that woman is absurd. My goodness, just holy crap! She plays this woman who, from uh, scene to scene, second to second, yeah. Yeah, I can't. I, that's the thing. Is like I can't imagine how insanely taxing an acting performance like this would have been because there's so much crying and swearing and befuddlement and confusion. Uh, that I'm reading along with the script, I'm just like, she's not tripping over any of these words. How the hell is she doing this? She's married <laughs> to Earl, who she married for his money. But as Earl is on his deathbed and soon dying, she is coming to realize that she actually loves the hell out of him, and that she regrets deeply the cheating that she did with him. And, uh, Such a wonderful twist that I didn't see coming. That yeah, was, that was that was the moment where I realized the movie, like, I was I was preparing for the movie to just leave me in the mud, honestly. Right. And that was the moment where I realized, oh, I can actually like these people. Yes, yes, and that's the thing is like you, and that brings me back to the <clears throat> '90s art house kind of dramas. It's always about cheating, how cheating is awesome and it's glorified. But this movie, like, oh my gosh, pulls zero punches about how awful it is and how it can wreck things. Um, but throughout the movie, she finds a character named Dixon, who is this young boy who informs uh, Jim, the cop, of a killer that's on the loose named The Worm, uh, a massive storyline, which has actually ended up being cut from the entire movie. But that's pretty much Ooh. how all of those characters are connected. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So I guess there's ten. If you count Dixon, his role is extremely light in this film. But for a kid performance, it's really freaking good. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes it is. So, uh... In, in the smallest of nutshells, that's Magnolia. It takes place early in the morning, and then it kind of ends the very next morning. It's kind of how this movie goes. So it's 24 hours in the lives of these people in the San Fernando Valley. 
It's a lot of the game show. It's a lot of Frank T.J. Mackey being interviewed and being asked these super hard-pressing questions that he does not want to answer. It's about Claudia trying to get medicine to calm the hell down while also wanting to confess to Earl that she loves him and wanting to get the will changed so that he doesn't, she doesn't get anything. That's a big chunk of the movie. Nice. It's, right. it's uh, Jim going on call to meet Claudia because Claudia is this woman who's, you know, she's Jimmy Gator's daughter, drugged out like crazy. You don't know why. And uh, he comes to find her because she has her music turned way up loud. And he's kind of missing her cues that she's clearly high on cocaine and ends up asking her out on a date. And it's, it's one of my favorite date sequences in like any movie ever because it's what I've always like desired, like just pure blunt honesty and mm. no, you know, she's because of what happened to her, there was trauma in her childhood. And because of that, she says this thing to Jim about, um, people who just want to hide things. And she's like, can we just skip all of that and just be bold face honest to each other? And it's really freaking beautiful because you can see yourself in Jim just being like, well, you know what? I also do embarrassing things and I'm also a sad guy at times. And I also have my heart struggles and all these other things. And, and, uh, that scene culminates with one of my favorite on-screen kisses in any movie. Um, good Lord. Just I, my favorite favorite line, and I don't remember exactly the wording, is when she says, wow, that was really... When he confesses his embarrassing moment, she says, that was really good. And then he says, it's your turn. She says, oh, no, I started this, didn't I? Yeah. I don't know. Just, I just that was, Yeah. Do you want to kiss me, Jim? Yes, I do. And they both just get up. Oh. And the camera pushes in so perfectly. Oh, my goodness. So, and, so that's the kind of movie that this is. And there's a lot of very difficult discussions about... And, and this is the theme that I want to get to. It's just the theme suggest one of the main themes, I would say, because there are several themes in the movie. But one of the main themes is the trauma that we can inflict on children and then what that becomes in adulthood. And so you mainly you can see this through everybody. But if you look at it through that lens, the main focus on this is Stanley, who is the kid on the game show about to beat the record and his dad. You see that. Don, you see that uh, is it, it is Donnie, right? The William H. Macy's character. Yeah, so Donnie, yeah, yeah, quiz yeah. kid Donnie. Donnie is a wreck. Um, he's tried to ride that celebrity his whole life, and he has burnt out. He just got fired from the job that he had at a TV store that uh, Doc Ock was running. And then you kind yep. of go back to Stanley, about to be you know famous on this show, but you can kind of see that he's got this really crappy relationship with his father. Now, there's a line that Donnie says later on in the movie when he's drunk, um, he's trying to like, he's actually trying to pick up a bartender that he's crazy about. And the bartender does not clearly feel the same way about him, but he says to this guy, the sins of the father are laid upon the children. And it's a line from, um, I should have written it down. I thought it was Ulysses, but it's kind of one of those blunt, like, Hey, if you don't understand what this movie about, it's kind of about this. Mm -hmm. And so he, he had a crappy father who was also just kind of using him to get him through the game show. Uh, and then you have Stanley, and you can see the exact same thing. Like, history repeats itself. It's clearly happening to Stanley. The poor kid just has to use the bathroom on the game show, and nobody's letting the damn kid take a pee. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he ends up wetting his pants, and then he doesn't want to do the game show anymore, and his father is losing his freaking mind in the green room. Uh, so, and you can see, too, the way that the dad yells at him. Um, he didn't hit him, but he kind of, like, shakes him when he's trying to get him to just answer the damn questions on the show. Um so that's a big theme is like you, you can really see the trauma that you inflict on children when you as an adult are, you know, just not cognizant of these things or how much kids can really soak things up. Right. And like, yeah. Um, soak things up like a sponge. That was the rest of that thought. Um, there was a line that Big Earl says 
and it's one of the bigger sequences in the movie when he's reflecting on his life and the mistakes that he made. He says the regret that you make is the something you take. Um, At least that's what it said in the script. The line he said was the regret that you make and the something you take. I think he just couldn't. I don't know if it was because that part was confusing, but that's the script. I like the line in the script better, which is the regret that you make is the something you take. And he's specifically talking about cheating on his wife who had cancer and not being there for his son, who ended up being Frank T.J. Mackey, this guy who is just literally treating women like objects because he never had a father figure to right. teach him the proper way to learn Don't respect. Do that. Well, it, well, the thing is, is, he did have a father figure who taught him to mistreat women. Yes, that's exactly right. He would have picked up on those things. That's very true. Um, there's another line that uh, kind of, kind of hits you in the face. If you're, it, well, if you're paying attention, it hits you in the face. Attention. Uh, Stanley's father very clearly says to his son when he's not wanting to do the game show anymore, don't do this to me, where it's right. not about the son at all. He's like, I'll get you anything that you want, and then he puts him back in the subject chair. And it's, uh, it's one of those movies, like, again, with, that, with those feelings in mind, seeing how these characters are affected, you just want to be better to people. Like when the movie's yeah. all said and done. One of my favorite movies moments in the whole movie is when Stanley finally runs away from the game show and just gets the hell out of there and returns right. to the one safe place he has, which is the, the school library that he breaks into. Where so, he can learn stuff because he enjoys it, not because he has to perform. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of just a rant about that theme um, in particular, did you have a favorite moment in the movie or something that just like really knocked you on your, on your butt? I, I, I enjoyed that. My favorite moments were all, uh, all scenes with John C. Riley. I love that character. I kept waiting for them to make me not like him. Like I thought that was where we were going and maybe I've just been primed that way, but it, I was waiting for them to make me not like him and I just kept liking him more and more until, as you said, that, that kiss I was like, yeah, you go, man. <laughs> Yeah, there's a moment where uh, you have this bad guy that he's kind of on the hunt for, kind of, but you get the impression that like he's this officer who he, he does this disturbance call right off the bat where he handcuffs this lady and he ends up finding a dead body in her closet. So they call him detectives and more police officers, and he's just kind of this guy in the corner that is 100,000% ignored. Like He's not important at all, and he knows that he's not important at all. Um, and the one boy... Um, Dixon, who tries to give him like a rap to hint at him who the worm is, which the worm ends up being his father, um, although that doesn't really come into play too much. Um, was that the cut storyline? It was, yeah. It was Orlando Jones from Mad TV. Oh, really? Yeah. So you hmm. see him like once in the movie. He's the guy wearing the hood that John yeah, he C. Runs chases by. after. Runs by, yeah, yeah. Right. And so at one point, John C. Riley falls down this hill and he loses his gun, and Dixon just so happens to be there and takes the gun and runs away. And you just watch this poor man struggling to try to find his gun because he knows that he already is nobody. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to be the laughing stock and have to be the cop who lost his gun. That was then, the moment that hit me in the, the gut the hardest. Yeah. I don't know. I, that, it's such a small moment, and yet that one hurt me more than anything else. Yeah, and I just, I think I've related to it too well, because how often have I had things go wrong in my life where I'm in my car or I'm in a house by myself and I'm shouting to God and I'm asking what the hell's going on, why is this happening to me, all of those things. And so that moment is so insanely human and it's not quite written that way in the script, so it tells me like John brought that himself mm-hmm. to the performance, and it just gets you, man. Like it just hits you but right in the heart. Yeah, I I guess that's why I like that dinner scene because it pays off. The payoff here is that this embarrassing thing is what allows him to connect to another human being 
by being honest about how he's humiliated today, he finally breaks through and connects to to what's what is her name? Claudia. Claudia to Claudia. Yeah, and I Cla- love that. I love that. The, the it, it's our brokenness that com- that binds us together and can allow us to break through the walls. And yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. Claudia, she knows that she screwed up. She had just had a one night stand the night before. <clears throat> um, does cocaine. All these different things, and she's like, you wouldn't like me if you really knew me. You don't know how screwed up I actually am. And he's just like, I lost my gun today. And he just goes into this, like, you know, how embarrassing it is for him. And like you said, it's that human connection. It's that moment of just like, holy crap, here's two people who both recognize that they're screwed up. They've skipped all the BS, and they just go right into, um, they skipped the surface and went right into going deep. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just paid off so well with that kiss. Man, oh, my goodness. Um and so you kind of have these characters who everything is building. Somebody mentioned it was like a, there's a certain song by the Beatles called, I think it's, oh my goodness, The News of the World? I think the, Paul Thomas Anderson mentioned this. I was reading things, yeah. Yeah, where it's just like, it's one of the, it, some people say it's the greatest song of all time. I heard it last night for the first time. I'll have to hear it a couple more times. But um, it's this Beatles song that like Lennon wrote a song and Paul McCartney wrote a song and they know what to do with it. So they just kind of combined it together with this one big song and it's a, a really fantastic Beatles song. Hmm. And so in the same way that the song builds and builds and builds, this movie builds and builds and builds. The characters are pushed uh, pretty much to a day in the life. That's the song. Uh, they're pushed pretty much to hmm. their limits. Uh, Frank and, and here's how they're pushed to their limits. You have Earl who's going to die trying to connect with his son, Frank, Frank, who's being inter- Frank TJ Mackey, who's being interviewed by this lady. I think her name's Gloria, uh, a news reporter trying to do an in-depth piece about him, realizing that everything that he has, uh, printed about himself was a lie and that his mother died actually when he was very young and that his father abandoned him and all these things. And so he's being pushed to his emotional limits. Phil is just this guy who's a nurse who, when you meet him, he's just doing the crossword puzzle, like not a big deal. But then like he knows Earl's at the end and he wants, yeah, yeah. This is why Phil's such a great character. It's because Phil is not being pushed to his utter limits. Phil is giving of himself to his utter limits. And I love that. I love that he's going to be relieved. But he's like, no, I'm going to see this out. I want to be here for this man. I, my, my wife was really annoyed with him ordering all the pornos on the phone. And she gets them and he pulls it open to find the phone to call his son. She goes, oh, I like him again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He wasn't he wasn't ordering them to look at them. He literally only opened the one, found the ad for Frank T.J. Frank T. Mackey, and then boom, just kind of uh, calls. And so his only motivation is to try to find Jack, who we find out is Frank, although Frank T.J. Mackey's real name is Jack. And so his big thing in the movie is he's just trying to find um just trying to find him he's trying so to give an just, old man peace on his deathbed and i yeah yeah it's great i'm actually Love I'm that try- character yeah i'm trying to find the freaking section in the script right now where the page is because it's one of the with a more um heart pressing lines in the whole movie where he's talking about you know hey and you know i'm just trying to find this guy uh here's what's going on uh give me one this second. is the scene in the movie line yeah that that's exactly the line it's it's a very famous line for anybody who uh it's that kind of you know movie line person but there's a the line script where he's talking to this lady named julia who's just like he literally called the line and it's the line that you would call to say hey i want to go to this seminar hey give me the give me the cassette tape so i can learn from frank tj Mackey. and he's just like hey listen this is actually something serious can i talk to you about something serious he's like well i'm just a call service guy and then he goes on his whole explanation 
him and this other guy just go back and forth. He's like, um, I know this all seems silly. I know that I'm maybe I sound ridiculous. Like maybe this is the scene of the movie where the guy is trying to get a hold of his long lost son. But this is that scene. You know, I think they have those scenes in movies because they're true because they really happen. And you got to believe me, this is really happening. I mean, I can give you my phone number and you can call me back if you want to check with whoever you check with. Please don't leave me hanging on this. Please, please see. See, this is the scene of the movie where you help me out. And it's like, holy great. crap and it also harkens back to like this stuff does happen and we have to tell ourselves and that's why we watch movies these empathy machines right right and and we i said earlier that uh reality is often stranger than fiction you literally have to have him say this is the scene in the movie for us to believe that it could happen because he's suggesting that we think of it as a movie believe that it's a movie first and then understand that this is actually happening. So he has to convince this guy by telling him, look, this is a movie, okay? Pretend it's a movie where you wouldn't believe that this is happening. So now believe it's a movie and then it's happening in real life. And it's this whole like full circle, like, <sighs> holy crap. Like, is this how we actually are? Like we have to believe a fiction before we can believe the truth. Holy. So excellent, excellent, excellent. And so you see him kind of, yeah, he's giving of himself, right? But he's also being pushed to this limit of this discomfort because he's, you know, I don't think he's the kind of guy who, you know, doesn't have a girlfriend while well, I'm trying, which would actually line him up perfectly with Frank. Um, mm-hmm. And so you have that. And then you have Linda, Julian Moore, who's just, she's realized that what a terrible woman she's been, that she actually loves this man hours before he's going to pass away. And then you have, you know, Jim, who uh, has, hasn't been on a date in three years, and now he's with Claudia for the first time, and they're both being pushed to their emotional limits, so everybody's being pushed to their emotional limits. Donnie, who was trying to get money to, for braces to impress this bartender named Brad, and it doesn't work out because Brad's not that into him, and so he's going to just kind of steal money. He's going to rob the guys who fired him at the beginning of the movie. And then you have Jimmy Gator, who knows that he's dying of bone cancer, and he hasn't really told anybody. I don't even think he, I don't even think he told his wife, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, she does know. She does know. Yeah, no, wait. Okay. And the phone call it was know. a phone call, wasn't I don't it? Recall. So I don't okay. Uh, geez, I just saw this movie too. I don't think the wife truly knew the extent of how sick he actually was. And so by being on this game show, it's pushing him to his physical limits. Plus he tried to see Claudia earlier that day to reconcile because he knows he's going to die. Um, because he was a bad father to her as well. Um, and it sounds like it's never really confirmed, though you are led on to believe that he did molest her because he had a series of cheats and um, kind of was like Frank and just seeing women like objects, which he may have gotten from Earl, who produced the show before Earl was on his deathbed. Hmm. So it's all this massive connection. And that's why the movie's three hours, Brendan. That's why. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> there, there's a moment where there's this fast-paced, frenetic pacing with this intense music. And then your average movie, it would have been a five-minute scene, but it goes on for like 32 minutes. Yeah. And it's like you feel breathless by the end, and all you're watching is a montage, mostly of a game show and people watching the game show. Yes. But it, it does not feel like three hours because it is so well-paced and edited and clipped. Yeah. Yeah. So all of this culminates to a scene where Jim just had the day with Claudia, and he sees Donnie... Uh, quiz show Donnie William H Macy climbing a ladder to or he's climbing like a he's climbing like a, a, a gutter or something yeah, yeah it's like or thing. yeah something like that to get into this building and he sees him and he's an off duty cop he's like what are you and doing guy we guys? should note he's climbing to give the money back because he regrets yes because he regrets yeah, he's locked himself out of the building by accident yep so Donnie got trashed 
and he tried to like come onto this bartender and tell him that he loves him. The bartender's not interested, so he left. And in his distress, he took some keys. He broke into the employer that fired him, took all the money, and then he regretted what he was doing. But the key snapped off in the lock, so he can't get it open. So now he's climbing to get into this building. So John C. Riley, as an off-duty cop, Jim, sees this happening. And he makes a U-turn in his car, and then a frog splats against his windshield. And you mm-hmm. think, oh, is this a jump scare? Because it it kind of was like. It kind of scared the hell out of me the first time it happened because I was—I I knew nothing about this movie when I first saw it. And then uh, another frog hits his windshield. And then frogs start raining from the sky. Oh, the frogs falling from the sky. Like a torrential downpour of frogs occurs. And he's freaking out. And Donnie looks up, and a frog smashes him in the face, throws him off of the the gutter, and he smashes face first in the concrete, which out loud I went, ho! Just like that, because it scared the hell out of me. Especially because now he's going to need oral surgery. Yeah, now he's going to need the oral surgery, which, by the way, before he wanted braces to impress the guy, he didn't need braces, and everybody kept saying, you don't need braces. Um, So now he will need that oral surgery. And Jimmy Gator, who had confessed to his wife that he thinks that he may have done something to his daughter, has a gun to his head, and as he's about to pull the trigger, a frog falls through his sky, uh, the glass part of his roof, and shatters, and it hits the gun, and the gun shoots the television, which is not a mistake. In fact, in the script, it is underlined and capitalized, shoots the television, which is something that, you know, his character needed to do. He needed to, like, kill that part of his life, like the TV Mm -hmm. life that he had been living. So I found that to be deep and delicious. Uh, at this point, <laughs> at this point, Frank has reconciled is with Earl. In I'll take I'll do a quick aside from the frog stuff. I'll come back to the frog stuff in one second. Uh, if you're not convinced yet, and and that's fair. It is long. It's a difficult. It's difficult. It requires your attention. This is the best thing. This is the best acting performance Tom Cruise has ever done. Period. Bar none. This is better than Jerry Maguire. This is better than... Don't, don't even give me the Tropic Thunder stuff. This is better than... Um, I think just about... I mean, Mission Impossible stuff. This is better than Top Gun. I've never seen Born on the Fourth of July. I heard he's very good in that. Uh, and Brendan, you pointed out the Collateral is probably still... I do like him in Collateral yeah. a lot. But as far as performances go, when he's breaking down in that long tank to hit, long take to his father... I just, I was like a freaking yeah, mess on the couch. Job. It's incredible. You've never seen Tom Cruise act this way. Just, uh, he even, he got nominated for an Oscar. He did not win because this was the year of American Beauty, which we definitely won't talk about. Although, although, mm. you know who he lost to? <laughs> Kevin, to Spacey. Kevin Spacey. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah. See, see, it's all connected. I feel like Peter Petrelli and Heroes. Don't you see we're all connected? See, this movie is a cautionary tale of two men who behave <laughs> like Kevin Spacey. Yeah, and I mean, you get every, you get every level of the cycle. I think. Let me, let's walk through this as it happens. So we have, at the oldest, we have Earl who's dying, who is regretting these decisions. These they feel good while you're doing them decisions. He regrets them so wholeheartedly. His son Frank doesn't have any regret for this this tame the c word thing that he does. Then you have uh, Jimmy, who, you know, he knows he's dying soon. In fact, there's a line where that Earl says that is also very uh, memorable from the film where uh, life isn't short. Life is, if life is anything, it's far too long. Where you have Jimmy and Earl who are feeling this. So Jimmy's also, he, he's got time to try to make up for those regrets. And then you kind of have somebody like Donnie who, you know, was a victim of, of, of a crabby father and like how his life is turning out. And then you have somebody like Stanley who, 
is on the verge of being a victim if him and his dad don't get their situation worked out. So you have almost every stage of a man's life and almost to an extent, every stage of a woman's life having to deal with these difficult and awful decisions as well. So you see that just amazingly through all these big sequences that come towards the end. So, okay, back to the frogs. So Phil is the first person to look outside, hear these dogs barking like crazy and go, Oh, there's frogs falling from the sky. And it just shows this shot of the backyard of just what must have been thousands of prop frogs and, and many real frogs for the record too. That'd be so much fun. Yeah, I know. Like there's, there's okay. in the behind the scenes when John C. Riley and William H. So, uh, Okay, so I'll, I'll hop to this and I'll go back to what I was saying. I love these roadmaps of ADD. Uh, Jim's character is going to help Donnie, who fell off of the roof, and he's dragging him over to a gas station. In the behind-the-scenes featurette that I posted in the show notes, the crew is literally on a fork, like a, um, a human lift thing. I can't, I just forgot. Yeah. What it was, the, the bucket lift, and they're chucking frogs at them. So, just, yeah, it must have been a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> they're dodging so, these silicone-painted frogs. Yep. Um, at that point, Linda has overdosed because she sees no way out other than to kill herself. And uh, the uh, the boy Dixon actually ends up finding her. And uh, she gets put in an ambulance. And the ambulance gets flipped over on its side because of all these freaking frogs that are falling through from the sky. Uh, and Claudia, she uh, ends up Claudia. like reconciling with her mother at that moment because the mother kind of comes now up. Now we need to pause yeah. here. Please do. This is the thing I wanted to talk about. This is this is me being ADHD brain, but this is my favorite moment watching the movie, not because of the movie. So, frogs are raining down from the sky. This scene with Claudia, the frogs start f- the windows break and the frogs are raining into her room. Now, I had a pet peeve earlier in this movie, a small pet peeve that almost nobody in their right minds will notice and is totally inconsequential. But it bothered me that during the rainstorm earlier, Water would flood down the windows instead of speckle because everybody should have a roof. Do you know what I'm saying here? I do know what you're saying here. And she was the on the water second floor. Would, yeah. The water would streak down the windows. Rain does not almost ever do that the way that it was doing. <laughs> it was clear that they had like a hose above every window in the in the movie. Okay. The frog falls through the window, and I'm pleased to myself that at least they're consistent because the frogs are at least hitting the windows too, and now they're breaking. And I look to my wife and I say, at least they're consistent and the frogs are breaking through the windows. Because earlier it was bugging me that the rain was flooding down the windows and that never happens. And then the camera (laughs) zooms in to the words written on the poster, but it did happen. And my wife lost her mind. (laughs) She giggled like an idiot for five minutes. Yes! It was in perfect sync. I said, that never happens push to but it did happen <laughs> in this movie about coincidences That's and it was wonderful and i was so happy and i just wanted to share that moment so thank you oh my gosh that's really something else so oh. in the movie in the movie right when you're about to lose the, the the there's this element of like this is absurd frogs falling from the sky and then the movie does this amazing pull from claudia and her mother just this tight push into a picture in the background with a tiny text on a little cut printed a uh, piece of paper as part of the collage that says, but it did happen. And that's, right. that's that moment. Well, you just, I think you just solved the frog conundrum for me, actually. And I'll, I'll talk this through cause I'm having this thought right now. Um, Please. because people who are film snobs and you can, you can, and, and I, don't, I don't mean, by the way, I don't mean film snobs always in a negative way. I just don't know what else to say. I don't know if our tour yeah, sounds yeah, like yeah, the yeah. correct word, but, 
But people who tend to love movies like we love movies, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll own film snob, whatever. Um, people who are in that snob language, they don't like the frogs. And I can get why, because it is like weird. The frogs. They don't like the frogs falling. They think it's weird. Well, I love the frogs. Right. And here's why what you just said has really helped me work out why I love the frogs. It's because what you have been watching, link, and it's all because of Phil. It all links back to Phil. Phil's speech to that guy is, you know, we have to pretend that this is a movie right now because it happens in movies. Therefore, it can happen in real life. And, and he's he gives that speech, right? So you're seeing all of these crazy coincidences all line up together. And mm-hmm. at that point, it only makes sense that an extreme event would occur of some kind to simply prove that. A climax. By the way, yeah. 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 The universe giving a climax to the film, the story. Right, and frogs, again, frogs have fallen from the sky before. What has happened is that tornadoes, like, and again, just go with me, folks. Tornadoes, when they go over lakes, tend to pick up amphibians and lots and lots of frogs. And when they get caught up in the tornadoes, what happens is the, the twister will move its path, the frogs will be in the vortex, and when the tornado dissipates, frogs rain from the sky. Right, and why this happens, specifically to amphibians, it's really hard, we're not sure, it's really hard to do double-blind tests for this. <laughs> Son of a bitch. It's true. It's true. So to me, like, it makes sense that that, oh my gosh, this is, uh, this is going to sound so weird. It, it, it could only make sense that frogs would fall from the sky. It right. could only make sense that that would occur next because that's something that does happen in all of the events in this movie, the coincidences, the web of everything. That's just something that happens. That does happen. It weird just things happens. do happen. And, and that to me is the thing. The movie is this all careening through life with these terrible things we're doing to each other and these weird decisions and and chaos of creation and and these coincidences that pile up sometimes and the whole point is saying that you know i I don't know what the whole point is but i love the i just i love that push but it did happen it's like yes this is absurd i know this is absurd you know this is absurd (laughs) but it happens we're in a movie it happens yeah it does happen it harkens me back to when we lived in Michigan and we were driving back from the biggest Christmas store in the world, which is in Frankenmuth, Michigan. And uh, we're leaving. We're talking about Christmas lights. And my wife goes, I have never once seen Chris- green Christmas lights on a house in my whole life. And not half a second later, we both look up and there is a white house with green Christmas lights. She goes, oh, except for right now. So those, <laughs> so it does happen, as you say. Uh and really, and, and you know, the movie it has a, a, a really beautiful uh, re- resolution. Um, I was looking at my list. Like, the last time I wrote, like, my true top ten films of all time was 2007. I actually have it saved on my Gmail account of all places. But mm. this is probably number six. It falls very comfortably right outside the top five. It's right next to Fellowship of the Ring, which is number five, which is very perfect right where it is after me watching it again this year. Um, I would even go so far as to say Fellowship of the Ring, the extended edition, is my fifth favorite film of all time. Magnolia is definitely number six. So, and that's, that's, I mean, gosh, I feel like not just going through the summary, but just like, I think I've said everything I want to say. Like, that's, uh, I just freaking love this movie. It's so dang good. It's, um, it's a feast. It's definitely not, um, I mean, I I don't want to say it'd be a hard one to watch popcorn for because I watch everything with popcorn but it's definitely like a sit and think and stew and wonder and contemplate and journal and walk away and treat people better kind of film um and damn it we need those sometimes man like i can't think again i couldn't think of anything terribly recent 
I guess there was a movie in Japan that's about five hours long that's a similar thought or similar idea, and there's a South Korean one that's like five hours long that's a similar thing with characters colliding and stuff, but I just, I can't think of, and, and I mean, and I mean, I know why, like the movie bombed at the box office, so that's probably why we don't see more things like this, but shit, we need more movies like this, and that's all I gotta say about that. Well, no one's gonna top that. Yeah. Well, and... And then go watch more Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Licorice Pizza is in theaters right now. And you know, you know, it's yeah. funny. Like right after this, he takes a little. He does Punch Drunk Love, which and is then he gets dark. Right, which Punch that's Drunk Love is That's the Paul Thomas like, Anderson movies that I know is dark. Paul Thomas Anderson. Dark. Go ahead. Punch yeah, because well, because Punch Drunk is just it's it's that's another insanely difficult movie to watch and. Uh, it was at one point Adam Sandler's best performance, but now people are telling me this. Um, this movie about gems, uncut gems or something, is now his best film. So I don't know. I haven't seen that oh, one yet. That is very good. Okay. That is very good. It's, um, it's rough. I I mean, it's darkest. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's very good. Dark. We'll have to do a whole episode just on the meaning of the word dark and gritty. Um, but it's not dark and gritty. It's just dark. It's just dark. <laughs> I mean, Love it. Um, but yeah, so PTA did that one. He did. Um, there will be blood. Which I need to so watch good. again. So uh, good. He did the master, the master? which, oh, which so I good. did not like. Oh, I love it when so I much. saw it. I think it's because, again, it's 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 incredibly difficult subject matter. But I really wasn't up for Joaquin Phoenix at the time because he was doing this really weird acting in person thing where he was like aloof and had a beard and oh, was that very was that, strange. That time period. That wasn't was it? that time period. So yeah. I think because of that, I really didn't care for the master. I saw it in IMAX because he shot a lot of it on 70 millimeter. Um, and that was amazing, mostly because IMAX is always amazing. See, uh, but yeah, I, I saw yeah. the master years later after we all, after it was confirmed, what we all knew was that Joaquin Phoenix was doing that as a stunt. So yeah. I didn't have any of that baggage when I watched it and I loved gotcha. it. Gotcha. Uh, so there was that one. I, I never saw Inherent Vice. I am interested in seeing it at some point. And then, uh, yeah, Licorice Pizza. We'll see. Uh, I'm, I am really excited for it because it's Philip Seymour Hoffman's son who has never acted mm-hmm. before. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited for that one. And uh, that one is out. Actually, uh, so I could. Yeah, I could have seen it actually on IMAX, but uh, I don't live in L.A. anymore. Enough about that. So that's PTA's career. He's amazing. He's awesome. Magnolia to me is the is the mountaintop, um, and I love this movie. And that's all. That's my gush. That's that's all I got. <laughs> Anything oh, for wonderful. you? Any last wonderful. notes for you? No, I think you covered it. But as we do, it's time for some number picking. Yay! All right, let's let's go to the bottom of this list. Let's see what we got. Uh, I need you to pick a number one between one and uh, six hundred eighty-three. Whew. Uh... 491. 491. And while he searched for while he searches for that, uh, the year that this came out was also American Beauty. It was Boys Don't Cry. It was uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, Girl Interrupted, Sleepy Hollow. It was a lot of movies like that. So, but American Beauty did sweep everything, and that's why it didn't get any Oscars. The Matrix won Best Visual Effects that year, so it was a very good year for film, um, all things considered. But um, I do believe it won the um, the Golden Bear. Or something is that can or is that Germany? Uh, I, I can't I remember. Know. But yeah, it, the I will I will close with this thought while you're looking at that number. The oh, uh, I got it. Written, okay. Go ahead. In the documentary at the very end, uh, he's with his girlfriend Fiona Apple at the time, and she's 
doing this thing where he goes, okay, dance for me. And she starts to do this really silly dance. He grabs her by the shoulders and he goes, no, why won't you perform? Why won't you perform like Boogie Nights? Do it again. And she does this, all, all this dance again. She's like, no, Magnolia, you must perform like Boogie Nights because he knows the movie is bombing at the box office. And New Line, who said that you could do anything you want to, is not at all happy that it's not doing well at the box office. <laughs> so, uh, great movie, great documentary. All right, what's the number? What's, uh, what, who's our, who we got? All right, uh, we have Larry Ring, who is the assistant location manager. All right. So he found a bunch of cool stuff around L.A. for them to film. And let's see, it looks like he's done a lot of that. He's done a lot of the scouting around L.A. and other things, too. But he wor- he's worked all with um, Paul Thomas Anderson on The Master, uh, There Will Be Blood, Punch Drunk Love, and it looks like Magnolia was his first one with him. But he's been doing wow. this... For a long time, and his last most recent credit is Ray Donovan from looks like 2017. Gotcha. Um, yeah, shoot. I mean, location managing is ridiculously important, and and finding the right sets and the right places are all incredibly important things. So, Larry, dude, thank you so much for working on Magnolia. Like, I think your eye for picking fl- uh, places for the movie was just exactly what Paul needed, and you just knocked it out of the park, sir. So, thank. I you. mean. I think it's worth noting that this is very important for this movie, where this is supposed to be a love letter to the San, uh, San Fern. I'm just San Fernando brain, Valley. Yep. Thank you. My <laughs> brain just turned off. San Fernando Valley. He had to imbibe that essence by finding places that looked the part, and I think he did a great job. Yeah, and I mean, there's even contrast with with the set pieces, right? Like you have this game show, which you know everything on TV looks beautiful and amazing. Then when you actually go see a game show live or uh, be a part of a live city audience, you realize just how in a box it is. And so you have that, you know, and then you have like the, the apartment sequences where, um, the, 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 there's the dead ex-husband in there. And then you have like the grittiness of where Claudia lives and the beautifulness where Earl lives. And so just great job location people. Great job. All right. (sighs) Now one, two or three. Hmm. Better go with numero uno. Numero uno. <laughs> oh, it is my. time. I need All to right. say something nice. Say something nice. Uh, oh. oh. Say something nice about the Eternals. I'm mostly concerned the fact that this is such a new movie and it's in your bad list. That... Uh, the, the well, because you're causing to the world, the Marvel because fans. when because when we do Marvel movies, even our lowest ranked one was still like a watchable movie. I I don't I don't ever want to see this one again. Like I just I, something nice, something nice, something nice, something nice. Um, I think this is a perfectly watchable movie. See, when I ranted about Nomadland, I did also mention that the soundtrack was really good, and the cinematography was amazing, and the profile shots on people were excellent. All of that stands true for this movie. The Shots, the cinematography choices are unlike any of the other Marvel films, frankly. Um, yeah, it's no, a movie yeah, that, I, I think it's gorgeously filmed. Yeah, despite being a movie about immortality, it's a movie that also takes its time with its camera angles mm-hmm. and its decisions. And uh, there's Next some time, good acting just, in it. <laughs> just remember to be fun because you're a superhero movie. Yeah, and that's, and I don't want to rip it too badly, but just I think. You know, I was kind of, to be honest, when we talked about it last week, I was really hoping that it would be a case of, oh, it's one of those things where I just keep hearing about how bad it is so that when I see it, it's, I'm going to have no expectations and then it's going to be wonderful. And, and didn't no, happen. It didn't happen this time. 
Um, I think you just like it more than I do, actually, from the way. <laughs> we'll talk more about this off of the podcast about talking about how great movies are. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things too. Like even the, even like the post credit sequence, which we only <clears> stayed <throat> for one because I couldn't take any more. Um, those were comments. I did that, the same thing. That's the only post credit sequence I have not stayed in the theater for. Is that second one? Yeah, I think we just got, I've gotten to the point where you know when I was young, going through comic book stores, like the all of the characters in the Eternals and the one that they're trying, the ones that they're trying to introduce, like I just, I just would walk right past them. Like I would see their covers, just no interest. And that's how I'm kind of starting to feel with this phase of Marvel is just no interest, except for Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, I'm still staying optimistic, but me but too, me too. It's Lizard. been lesser too. too so far. Yes. All right. Well, sh- now, yeah. please. <laughs> the thing is, is I know the answer to this, and I can't wait to hear you talk about it. What you've been watching? Oh my goodness. Uh, <clears throat> I have been watching. Cowboy Bebop on Netflix. Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop. Yes, Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop. I was first introduced to this show by Scott, who was the RA in Trinity Hall at the time, who I watched the movie, Knocking on Heaven's Door, and then that got me to watch the whole series, and I loved it. It was kind of... I mean, Dragon Ball Z was my first real anime love, but Cowboy Bebop showed me that it could be something else, too. And so mm. I loved Cowboy that. Cowboy Bebop was my first love. I watched this in Austria. And yeah. It was so good. Yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. Um, so I, so I, I, you know, I, uh, the trailers and the teasers hit all the right beats for me. There's a song called uh, Greenbird, which is kind of the Gregorian chant with all women thing that happens in episode five. Um, I think it's one of the finest songs ever written. And when they played that in the teaser, I was like, that's it. I'm in. I don't care what they do. I don't care what they do. Like, I'm in because of that. And so I was expecting this Scott Pilgrim esque. Sharp editing, Dutch angled, um, campy, corny, cheesy, fun thing. I was expecting that. I wasn't expecting some, I don't know, and I can't talk about this without talking about people's guttural reaction to it, but like, I don't know what people were thinking. I don't know if they were expecting like tone, like, okay, tone. This show's tone is all over the place. Like it is all over the place. In fact, if anything, it has made me a better writer because now I recognize when tone has to be consistent because the tone here is is nutso. But there was a moment when, like, Spike, uh, played by John Cho, was laughing, and I couldn't think of a moment in the series where he ever laughed at anything, and I was like, okay, I see what they're doing. It's just fun. They're just trying to have it's some fun. It's just fun. fun. And, and I needed that. I needed just, like, a fun, can't-be-cheesy show. I even, I, I think on my Facebook side, I was something just like, uh, this show's bringing the cheese and I have my glass of wine. Like, I'm just enjoying my wine and cheese. And it was, it was dumb fun. And, uh, uh we'll, we'll talk about, we will talk about the ending another day when you finish it. Yeah, I'm only two episodes in, but I really enjoyed the crap out of those two episodes. Yeah, uh, the guy the who's one... playing Vicious is amazing. He's exactly yeah. what Vicious is in the show. Like, exactly what he is in the, the show. The thing is, is I don't even know if, I've only got, again, episode two of Vicious's arc. And I don't know that I care that much about his arc, but I don't know that it matters that I don't care that much about his arc. And and maybe I will more. I guess here's the thing. This is actually a great way to uh, show to point out the flaws in Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, okay. That, so. Actually, I don't even know how it's ringing on that. Rotten. So uh, it's about 50%. But here's the thing. It's got the same score as, as a 50% where half the audience gives it a 6 out of 10. The other half gives it a 4 out of 10. To me, that's a pretty mediocre show. This 6 out of 10 is kind of 
nines, and twos. <laughs> it's controversial. And the thing is, that means that you might hate it, but you might really enjoy it. And you should give it a chance. Because if you go in knowing that you're getting a campy, cheesy, knows what it is, and is having fun with it show, you might just really enjoy it. I'm trying to think of shows or movies that are like this. And all I can think of is Fifth Element. Um, Speed Racer. Speed Racer. Oh, gosh, I still love Speed Racer. But Speed Racer is controversial. You either loved it it or you hated it. And that's the thing. The critics were the same way. They loved it or they hated it. Nobody was like, yeah, it's fine. You're not going to watch it and say it's fine. You're going to love it or hate it. But those are the things you should give shots because have fun with it. You might hate it, but have fun with it. (laughs) It's such a different medium because you have people who, um, gosh, somebody was just telling, oh, my sister, I was talking to her today and she said that uh, my, my wife grew up on this Anna Green Gables show that was big on Canadian television and uh, I showed it to my sister and she has all the, t- the videos anyway and she says, oh, but the book is just so much better. Yes. And as the conversation has been for probably the last hundreds of hundred years of, of filmmaking, the book is a different medium than the movie, yeah. than the TV show. It's we're still very new into this whole anime adaptation thing. The anime is going to be different from the TV show. I don't and think frankly, I want. Yeah, I, what you're going to say? I think the anime is better, but that doesn't mean I'm not thinking this is amazing. Of course, and I I don't want I wouldn't want this show to just be the anime. Like I wouldn't. But want that's just, where yeah. that's where other anime adaptations have failed is because they're not bringing me any reason to watch them. Right, Ghost in the Shell is. Among many things problematic with Ghost in the Shell, it's just the anime filmed with pretty CGI. And I'm like, I'll just go watch the anime. So it's there's no reason for me to see the new medium. Whereas this gives me a reason to watch it in a new medium because it's doing something different. But it still captures the spirit and soul of the original. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, well, that's the best. I mean, because we have had anime adaptations which have said to hell to, the, to hell with the source material. We've had those. We've also had anime adaptations that are almost exactly like the anime, and people have said to hell with those. There has to be a happy medium, and this is that happy yeah. medium. I know that this is that, that hipster uh, show that you loved when you saw it on Adult Swim late at night when you were in middle school, and you loved the hard ironness of it and who Spike Spiegel was and the Jeet Kune Do and all those different things. Because guess what? I loved all those things too. But the other thing is, I'm an adult, and sometimes I just want this crap. And I, I and yeah. Sometimes Gosh. as an adult, I want, as, as a kid, I watched Cowboy Bebop because it, made, it was more mature. And maybe as an adult, I want to watch this because it's less mature. But, you know, here's the thing. Nothing new in a medium will ever destroy your childhood. Stop yes. saying that. It's not <laughs> true. If you don't like this one, you can still love the one that came before. If yeah. you don't like the new Star Wars movies, you can still like the old Star Wars movies. You don't like new Cowboy Bebop, you can like the old Cowboy Bebop. Star Trek, Star Trek. I mean, we could do this about anything. Let people Gosh. like their shit. So that just reminds swearing. me. No, it's okay. The new Ghostbusters just came out too. I haven't had the chance to see it yet, but I've heard us. I've heard that similar reaction of just like my childhood. Meh. It's like, you know, any one of you would give your left nut to do an adaptation of your favorite thing. Like I would have. My dream project is Star Fox. I think I've talked about that before on the show. Oh, that'd be fun. And honestly, I would. Pro- I would. 
this is going to make me lose the job if I never had the job. But um, I would look to Cowboy Bebop for inspiration to see, like, what they picked and the directions they ran with it. Now, again, not a perfect show. I am absolutely going to rewatch it because I really enjoyed it. Um, They do make some very different choices, especially towards the end. There's, There's a big choice that is an insane departure from the anime. And it's not what everybody is saying. It's not the, it's not that this character shows up and the character is so different from the anime, which we'll talk about later, but the character that shows up is exactly the same as they are in the anime. And I don't know what the hell people are complaining about, but there is a character choice <laughs> that occurs in episode five. You're actually, being tied for me, but I can only assume exactly what you're talking about. And I actually, don't care. I'm yeah, excited about it. There's actually three character choices that happen in the last episode. And I think... Two of the three are incorrect. Can I make a guess? Not of what happens, but just just don't tell me the plot points. But can I sure. just make a guess that it was setting up a season two that did not exist in the anime? Uh, no, no, no. Oh, I okay. say that. No. Um, okay. If anything, if you follow the original anime, episode ten of the live action is episode five in the anime. So there's like oh, a so lot. we're halfway through the anime. No, we're one. 5, 10, 15, 20, oh my gosh. One-sixth, one-fifth of the way through? One-fifth. Interesting. It jumps okay. around a lot through episodes, but the last episode ends with what happens in the fifth episode. And there are character choices that occur it's in that 20 episode. 26? 26, okay. Counting the movies, 27, I no, suppose. I love that movie. I need to Me too, that movie. gosh. Okay, pro- okay, one of the best anime movies of all time, hands down. Can't be. Should it. we gush about that next season? Let's do something. Yeah, yeah we should. Well, I mean, we need to have... Uh, You'd have Corey on to talk about Nausicaa. We'll probably do a double dip with him. Um, But yeah, uh, like, oh my gosh. Like, uh, but it was, that show was a long way around it. That show was exactly what I needed at a time when I just needed something to like, I needed a show. I haven't had a good show in quite a long time. Like there are shows that I just love, but I've, I've, it was years ago that I started watching them and they've long since wrapped up and I just needed a new show for me to watch in my man cave. And I had a great time with it and I look forward to rewatching it again. And uh, to all the haters out there, um, if you truly love anime, you're going to really hate what they do with One Piece because they're going to do the exact same thing they do with Cowboy Bebop. So you might as well give up now and just enjoy the ride. Basically, what we're saying is our goal is to kill your childhood. <laughs> well, One Piece just hit episode 1,000, I think. And uh, the manga is one of the longest running yeah. mangas of all time. And they just announced the Netflix live action adaptation, actors and actresses for it. And people are going crazy and they're so happy and it's all wonderful. I'm like, look. If you don't like what they do with Cowboy Bebop, holy hell are you going to hate what they do with One Piece? Because One Piece is about a bunch of like happy-go-lucky funny pirates who have magical powers. Live action, if you don't like Cowboy Bebop, it ain't going to work. So just get on on and have a good time. And that's all I got to say about that. What are you watching and enjoying right now? Uh, this this will, yeah. I, for whatever reason, have decided to rewatch, um, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. So Yay! that's what I've been, I've been doing a lot of Aqua Teen Hunger Force because I want to embrace my juvenile self deep inside me. Um, <laughs> Aqua Teen Hunger Force is actually kind of special for me. When I was in high school, my parents, I was the, I'm the oldest. And my parents said, all right, you don't have a bedtime, get enough sleep and be, be good about that. And so, well, I must've been like 12. So my siblings would go to bed and I would, usually sit with my parents until they went to bed and one time they turned on this show because they thought the title looked really stupid 
and for about two months, I watched Aqua Teen Hunger Force every week with my parents. That's awesome, man. Because my dad just thought the idea of a character named Meatwad was so unbelievably hysterical that he would oh, tune wow. in. Eventually, he couldn't do it anymore, but I have fond memories of that month and a half. It was the first show I ever watched that was only 10 minutes long, and that was such a new idea to me that it could be so contained. Um, well, it's I, easy to contain it when the plots are Aqua Teen Hunger Force plots. I think I fell in love with that show in the summer of 2005, and then I brought several episodes to Austria to expose Bill and Murph to it. So for as amazing as... Bill and Murph, guys, previous host, joined us. Yeah, people yeah. podcast us. Bill, who has a doctorate in philosophy and he teaches philosophy in Egypt right now, uh, laughing at Meatwad jokes is uh, wonderful. It is wonderful. Meatwad. Right... <laughs> Meatwad, get the money, see? Meatwad, get the hu- make the money, see? Meatwad, get the honeys, she? Oh, my goodness. Driving in my car. Living um, like a star. Ice on my ribs. I don't know what the last line is. I never can I don't either. I forgot about it. But um, I've been on TikTok trying to market the Kickstarter, which did not succeed, and that's okay. I don't want to talk about it. Um, the TikTok trends are very interesting to follow, and one trend right now is a clip from Aquatine Hunger Force where Frylock says, Meatwad needs to learn some um, morals and values. And Frylock goes, look at him and tell me there's a god. And Meatwad goes, and so people have been taking that audio clip and just making these amazing sketches with it. And uh, and I, I love it. I think there's even oh, a new Aquatine even coming up. out right now. So, yeah. Cool. I'm glad you're... Cool, well, cool, how far cool. are you in Aquatine? What was the last one you saw? I don't even remember. They all... Kind of blend together in their absurdity. Yes, I'm like I 10 do. episodes in. I've, I've been doing it while I work on other things. Excellent. Aqua well, Team Hunger Force is the anti-Magnolia. You can watch it while you're doing other crap. That's true. And there are many things that you can watch while doing other crap. My wife is re-watching Vampire Diaries, and I think she maybe has seen 10 minutes of the last five seasons because she's been on her phone at the same time. But that's fine. I don't even know you're not listening to this. I love you. Um, so, well, I mean... I know we said it was the season finale, but do you want to do one next week, or what do you think? What do you want to do? I mean, do I mean, wanna... is it? Yeah, like is it just a quick wrap up of like the year and the things that we've really liked and sure, know, let's, do yeah. let's do that. Positivity. Let's do that. All right, we'll so this is this episode. is the not quite season finale. Season finale. We'll we'll say this is the season finale of gushing, and the next week we'll do maybe some industry news. We'll talk about some things that we saw this year that well, we just absolutely loved. Yeah. Not to do a full gush, but. Do you want to watch a Spider-Man? Ooh. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk maybe, about it. Maybe not. Don't hold us to that. Shut up, guys. We don't <laughs> owe you anything. I love it. Excellent. Well, you know what, folks? We'll see you next week. Let's just put it that way. Thank you for listening to me gush about Magnolia. And I hope that you go and check out this movie. It is currently free on Netflix. And it's fun. And it's, uh, well, I don't know, fun. It is? It's, it's a brain burner, as Murph likes to say. I don't know, it was free on Netflix. I paid for it. So well, well, have a good we week, everybody. Have a good week. Okay, bye. Oh. oh, what? Guys, tomorrow, <gasps> the annual episode of Till Death Do Us Blart, where the people talk about Paul Blart Mall Cup 2. Bye. Oh, my gosh. Bye.